Hello and welcome to the 60th episode of the Uncover True Crime podcast. My name is Stephanie and in each episode we uncover a different unsolved true crime case ranging from missing persons, unsolved murders, Jane and John Doe's and suspicious deaths. You can listen to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other podcast streaming apps. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at uncover underscore pod, on Instagram at uncover true crime pod, and you can join the uncover true crime discussion group on Facebook. As most of you know, a few months ago I stopped covering Jane and John Doe cases on this podcast as I started a new podcast called One Doe at a Time and that podcast was specifically for Jane and John Doe cases. Because I am moving and there's a lot going on in my life at the moment, I've decided to put that podcast on a slight hiatus just until I catch up. So I am going to start covering Jane and John Doe cases on this podcast until I get that podcast up and running again. Today's case is one that I had planned to cover over on that podcast, but as I had written the script for it already, I didn't want it to go to waste, which is why I'm releasing it here today. If you have ever listened to an episode of One Do at a Time before, you'll know that in each episode I talk about two cases. I talk about one person who is still unidentified and another person who used to be unidentified but has since been reunited with their true identity. I am going to be doing the same in this episode, so we will be discussing two cases today. Without any further ado, let's uncover the case of Anna Doe. On the 18th of September 1996, the body of a woman was found in Mount Pleasant Memorial Park Cemetery in Annadale, Fairfax County, Virginia. Due to the county where she was found, I will refer to her as Anna or Anna Doe going forward. Before she died, the woman lay on a plastic sheet on the ground and had set up a small decorated Christmas tree. She also brought a CD player and headphones with her and was listening to the 2,000-year-old man comedy routine which was performed by the duo Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner. She died from an apparent suicide as a plastic bag was covering her head and had been tied around her neck with sellotape, so it is assumed that that she suffocated. The reason I say assumed is because no autopsy was performed as per Anna's request. Beside her body, the police found a note which appeared to have been written by Anna, which read, quote, Deceased by own hand, prefer no autopsy. Please order cremation with funds provided. Thank you, Jane Doe. She also left $100 near her body and on the note she stated that half of that was for the coroner and the other half was for the cemetery, but I don't know if she ever was cremated or what happened to her remains. The reason why she didn't want an autopsy is unclear, maybe she thought it would be a waste of time, maybe it was for religious reasons or maybe something else factored into her request. I do believe that at least a blood test was done though, as they were able to determine that she had an alcohol blood level of 0.14 and she had Valium in her system. I don't know how much Valium she had taken, so it might have contributed to her death, or maybe she thought that alcohol and some diazepam would make the process of dying less unpleasant. Anna Doe was a white female, between 50 and 70 years old. Her hair was quite short, curly, and was described as a copperish colour. She was 5 foot tall and weighed 157 pounds, meaning that according to BMI calculations, she was obese. She had only died hours before her death, so her face was recognisable, 
and post more on photos of her are available to view online. She had an 8 inch scar on her abdomen which some sources state may have been from a c-section, however I am not too sure. There is also a photo of this scar available online but to me it doesn't look like a c-section scar having had a caesarean section myself. Generally speaking, c-section scars are horizontal not vertical and they are located under a woman's pubic bone not right underneath their belly button. Also, Anna Doe's scar was 8 inches long while c-section scar tend to be about 6 inches long. Granted, c-sections might have been performed differently back when Anna Doe was of childbearing age but I just wanted to mention that before carrying on with the rest of the case. Her nails were painted red and she was wearing very expensive clothes so it is unlikely that she was homeless. Her navy blue cardigan, red jumper slash sweater, red silk shirt and her navy wool cotton socks were all from the brand Classiques in Tier, which is sold in Nordstrom stores and it seems to be a very expensive brand. She was also wearing an Eddie Buer teal jacket, knee high stockings, a white sports bra, fruit of the loom underwear, size 7 black loafers, two clip-on earrings, a small gold women's guess watch with a mesh band, and a 14 karat gold ring with jade stones. She also had a backpack on her which contained a cassette tape of Jeff Foxworthy's You Might Be a Redneck, another cassette tape of Monty Python and the Holy Grail, two empty juice boxes and a new roll of masking tape which is what I think was used to secure the plastic bag around her head. Alongside the note requesting no autopsy there was another typed note next to her which read quote, Now I lay me down to sleep, soon to drift into the eternal deep, and though I die and shall not wake, sleep sweeter will be this life I forsake. I tried to google this passage to see if it was from a poem but I couldn't find anything with this exact wording. Although it is very similar to the Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep prayer which is a Christian children's prayer which is sometimes read to children before they go to sleep. There are many versions of this prayer, although, as I said, none of them with a specific wording. If Anna Doe did write this herself, then she was quite the poet. She also had on her a pink Minnie Mouse fanny pack or bum bag, which seems like a weird thing for an adult of her age to wear, especially one with such expensive clothing, although maybe it was sentimental to her in some way. She was also wearing a metal medical bracelet, which read, quote, No code, DNR, no penicillin. Unquote. This possibly indicates that she was suffering from some sort of long-term illness or conditions that could possibly take her life, since DNR stands for do not resuscitate. This could also explain why she chose to take her life. Maybe she wanted to be in control of how she died or knew that taking her own life in the way that she did would have been less painful than whatever condition she may have been suffering from. However, it is important to note that this is all speculation as she didn't have an autopsy so we don't know for certain what her medical situation was. Another significant thing about her case was that she was found in the part of a cemetery where infants were buried, although she wasn't apparently found near any specific grave so it doesn't seem that she was related to any of the children buried there. Perhaps Anna had lost a child before and she felt closer to her child being in that part of the cemetery if for some reason she was unable to be near her child's grave. Maybe there was another reason she wanted to die next to these graves. 
or perhaps he just chose this part of the cemetery randomly. I also found it very touching that she chose to set up a small Christmas tree at the place where she died, especially since she was near the graves of children. That part of her story really brought a tear to my eye. It seems as though Anna wanted to stay a Jane Doe, as this is how she signed off the note that she left instead of leaving her real name. It is possible that she didn't have any family, or maybe she didn't want to put her family through the grief and pain that she knew would come with her death. Even though Anna was apparently okay with being unidentified, Namus has ruled out a staggering 636 women as being Anna Doe, which is the largest number of rule-outs I have ever come across. I did wonder whether or not to cover Anna's case, given that she may not have wanted to be identified. And while I think the wishes of the dead should be respected, I also think that they should be weighed up with the needs of her family. Maybe she doesn't have any family or has lost contact with them, but maybe they are looking for her and wondering where she is. Maybe they have spent the last 23 years looking for her and have not been able to find closure. Anna died the way that she wanted to go, and a long enough amount of time has passed that I think we need to think about the impact of her disappearance on her loved ones. So, if you have any information on Anna's identity, please contact the office of the Chief Medical Examiner District on 800-786-3174 and quote the case number N1996-41257. Before we talk about the case of Lyle Stevick, I just wanted to let you know the support for this episode is brought to you by Manscaped, which is the best in below-the-waist grooming and hygiene. Ladies, listen up. Manscaped have launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right. The 4.0. Manscaped is trusted by over 4 million men worldwide, so why not trust it with your man too? As one of the first people to get their hands on the new Lawnmower 4.0, I love the design and the details of it, and I'm going to tell you why right now. We all know what a hassle shaving can be. There's absolutely nothing worse than trying to shave with a blunt razor and not being able to get the clean finish that you want. But you do not have to worry about this with the Lawnmower 4.0. Manscaped have engineered the ultimate body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and an incredibly comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. You can now feel confident in your man's below the waist grooming tools. The Lawnmower 4.0 also has a new multifunction on off switch which was created for people who like to travel. Count me as one of those people as soon as this pandemic is over. The upgraded trimmer also gives you the ability to turn the 4K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. The 4.0 also allows you to customise your trim all over with additional guard lengths from sizes 1 to 4. Also, did I mention wireless charging? The Lawnmower 4.0's new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help battery life last longer. No need to rush that trim. Manscaped's got you covered. The Lawnmower 4.0 is also waterproof so it can be used in the shower without any concerns. And ladies, let's be honest. If you're allowing the men in your life to shave their face and their body with the same razor, you're doing it wrong. Make it right by giving him a new body trimmer with Manscaped to make your time together the best time with a smooth shave. When Manscaped sent me my Lawnmower 4.0, I gave it to my boyfriend and he is really enjoying using it. It's very easy to use and it gives a very, very precise shave. I cannot recommend it enough. Especially with the holidays coming up, this would make an ideal present for the men in your life. 
life. Manscaped are very kindly offering my listeners 20% off and free shipping when you use the code uncover at manscaped.com. Yes, that's 20% off with free worldwide shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code uncover. Unlock his confidence with the new Lawnmower 4.0 from Manscaped today. This episode of Uncover True Crime is also being supported by Anna Louisa Jewelry. That's Anna Louisa Jewelry, spelt A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A. They are currently offering my listeners 20% off of their whole website, which is absolutely amazing, especially since the holiday season is coming up. Their classic and stunning designs would make an excellent gift for your loved ones around this time of year. Let me tell you a bit about them. The necklaces, rings and bracelets sold on Anna Louisa are handcrafted by designers in New York and the quality is impeccable. They guarantee that all of the metal they use is nickel-free and hypoallergenic. So even if you suffer from allergies or have sensitive skin, you'll be totally fine wearing their stunning designs. They have pieces that will suit every gender identity, age and personal style, so there literally is something for everybody. The pieces that they sent me are absolutely timeless, they go with every outfit and I just can't express how stunning they are. Seriously, I love all the items of jewellery on their website. Their pieces start from $39 and they are currently running the biggest sale of the year, which makes it even more amazing that they are offering you guys 20% off their whole website. Whether you want to treat yourself or buy a special gift for a loved one, you can't go wrong with the pieces on Ana Luisa. I'll spell that again for you. That's A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A. Get 20% off their whole website now at shopanaluisa.com forward slash uncover. Again, that's shop.ana-luisa.com dot com forward slash u-n-c-o-v-e-r. That link will also be in the show notes of this episode. But now we are going to discuss the case of Lyle Stevick. On the 14th of September 2001, the man checked into the Lake Quinault Inn, a motel at Amanda Park, Washington, under the name Lyle Stevick. He had no luggage with him and the only things he seemed to bring with him was a toothbrush and toothpaste. He paid for one night up front, but indicated that he would be staying there for a few days. The motel where he was staying was near a highway and a trailer park and as his room was on the ground floor, he told the staff that he would like a quieter room so he was moved up to the second floor. There are reports that he was seen outside pacing back and forth a few times, but otherwise Lyle kept to himself. He asked for a few extra towels and requested that the housekeeper not come into his room to clean on the 16th of September, but he didn't seem to have any other interactions with anyone else during his stay. On the 17th of September, a housekeeper entered his room as Lyle was late for his checkout, and she found him hanging from a coat rail with a belt round his neck. The police arrived and Lyle's body was taken to the local medical examiner's office. Police examined the room and found a note with one word written on it, suicide. They also found another note which read, quote, for the room, unquote, with some money lying beside it. Upon further investigation, police found out that the name Lyle Stevick was an alias and it was actually the name of a character from the book, You Must Remember This, which was published in 1987. They also discovered that the home address that he gave the motor 
hotel staff, 1019 South Progress Avenue, Meridian, Idaho, was actually a Best Western hotel. Staff also told the police that he may have had a slight Canadian accent, but there was no other clues as to where he may have been from. Police also thought that they had seen him get off a bus outside the motel. However, there were two buses that dropped passengers off around the time that Lyle checked in, and neither of the drivers could say for certain that he had been on their bus, so there were very little clues as to where he could have travelled from. Lyle Stevick was labelled as a John Doe, but police struggled to find any leads regarding his identity. The post-mortem revealed that he likely died the day before he was found, however his face was very recognisable, so they were able to create an accurate digital composite of his face to show the public in the hopes that someone would recognise him, but this did not lead to his identity. The digital composites are not the only photos that were released to the media though. If you Google the name Lyle Stevick, you will find post-mortem photos of Lyle, both in the medical examiner's office and of him literally hanging from the coat rack with the belt around his neck. The police have never revealed why or how these photos were released, but I don't believe it would have been intentional as they are very graphic. I really hope that whoever is responsible for these photos being leaked was disciplined accordingly because I can't imagine knowing that graphic crime scene photos of my loved ones were available for people to view online. Everyone deserves dignity even in death, and I can't believe that those photos are so readily available on Google. Also, another one of the photos released of him is an edited version of the photo taken of him in the medical examiner's office. I don't know who edited the photo, but they have put a big grin on Lyle's face, which I think is in very poor taste. I understand that when creating digital composites that you might add expressions onto a person's face to make them more recognisable, however I think it is very inappropriate to do this on an autopsy photo. The post-mortem examination showed that Lyle was either Native American, Hispanic or perhaps a mixture of the two and possibly had African heritage. He was between 20 to 30 years old, was 6 foot tall and weighed around 135 pounds although the clothes he was wearing were far too big for him, which led people to believe that he may have lost weight shortly before his death. He had dark hair, which was very neatly combed back, hazel eyes, and he had a small mole on the left side of his chin. He was wearing a Fruit of the Loom t-shirt, a long-sleeved blue check shirt, Levi jeans, a brown leather belt, and Timberland boots. He had excellent oral hygiene and had received treatment from an orthodontist at some point during his life. He had also had his appendix removed around a year earlier, but none of this information led to him being identified. His death was ruled a suicide and it is suspected that he chose the alias Lyle Stevick because the character by that name in the book You Must Remember This also had suicidal thoughts. Lyle's case was very popular online, with web sleuthers trying to find his true identity and with that comes a lot of rumours and speculation. Because he had died less than a week after the 9-11 attacks, people speculated that he had possibly lost a loved one in the attacks which may have caused him to take his own life. Other people thought that he was a possible conspirator in the attacks and I believe this assumption was made purely on the fact that he had an olive complexion which is absolutely disgusting as there is nothing to suggest this whatsoever. People also thought it was possible that Lyle suffered from an eating disorder for several reasons. The first was that he had two scabs on his knuckles, which can be common in people who purge as their teeth often rub against their knuckles. 
Second, his recent weight loss, and because the only things he brought with him to the motel was a toothbrush and toothpaste. People who suffer from bulimia will often try to mask the smell of vomit in their breath by excessively brushing their teeth, and as I mentioned earlier, Lyle had excellent oral hygiene. People who suffer from bulimia also tend to experience severe tooth decay, which is another reason why people who suffer from this condition sometimes pay extra attention to their oral hygiene. Eating disorders are also usually accompanied by other mental health issues, which may explain the reason behind him wanting to end his own life. While armchair detectives were searching missing persons reports looking for a match, it didn't take the official investigation long to grow cold. Lyle was buried in an unmarked grave without a funeral or anyone to mourn him. That was until 17 years after his death. In 2018, the DNA project took on his case. For anyone who doesn't know, the DNA Doe Project is a non-profit organisation that are responsible for reuniting dozens of Jane and John Doe's with their true identities, and Lyle's case was one of the first that they took on. Redditors helped fund the DNA testing, and through the wonders of genetic genealogy, he was identified in May of that same year. Lyle was never reported missing as his family thought that he was still alive and had just chosen not to contact them. Obviously, we don't know the exact reason he cut himself off from his family, but it's possible that he just didn't want his family to have to grieve his death. The only information about him that has been publicly released is that he was 25 years old when he died and he was originally from California. His family decided not to release his real name to the public as they wanted to respect his privacy. Although, by going through yearbooks and doing some deep digging online, people on Reddit were able to find out his true name. Out of respect for his family and for Lyle, I will not be sharing his name on this episode and I would like to encourage anybody listening to this not to go looking for it. I understand that due to his case being very popular with the online true crime community, that people became invested in his case and want a sense of closure by knowing his real name, but that really is not our place. His family want his name to be withheld and I think that we should all respect that. When I was writing up this script for the One Door at a Time podcast, I put these cases together very deliberately as they have got a lot in common. Other than the facts that both of these people died by suicide, it seems that neither of them actually wanted to be identified. Lyle was found miles away from his home and had deliberately cut himself off from his family and Anna requested no autopsy and referred to herself as Jane Doe in her suicide I know that this has been a particularly heavy episode, so I am going to leave links and numbers to the suicide prevention organisations in the description of this episode. That is everything I have for you today. Thank you for listening till the very end. Please stay safe and have a good night.